Now we'll turn back to the chapter that we read, the book of Psalms, the 40th Psalm. And we read a few verses again from the beginning. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. Psalm 40 is, of course, one of our most well-known and beloved psalms, and very often we have turned to it and found in it such a mirror of our own trials and difficulties, an echo, if you like, a resonance that we can feel we can enter into this psalm from its very first verse, first line. And so we have known what it is to be crying to the Lord and waiting for an answer. And we've known the burdens of trying to wait patiently and then the joys of being delivered as it were, out of the miry clay. It's a psalm of great Christian experience, a psalm of bold confidence upon the Saviour, and a psalm filled with proper praise and worship to God for the mercies that are received. I want this evening just to consider uh, the first few verses, the first three verses uh, this evening. And we are looking forward to the beginning of our community season. We're at the beginning, the threshold of it. And uh, we know our bodily weaknesses will try not to be uh, lengthy this evening. First point and first question we want to ask of these verses is, who is waiting in this psalm? I waited patiently for the Lord. Who is waiting in this psalm? And the one who is patiently waiting is, above all, the Saviour and Lord, Jesus. It is a messianic psalm. And in Hebrews 10, we have confirmation of that, where it refers directly and at some extensiveness to this psalm. You'll recognise from this a short extract from Hebrews the portion of this psalm that it comes from, a little later in this psalm. Hebrews 10, verse 5. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not. Look at verse 6 in the psalm. But a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. And then the quote continues above when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offering and offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither hadst pleasure therein, 
which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. So it is he being Christ. What's he taking away? The first, he's taking away the, the, the sacrifices of that first dispensation of the covenant of grace that he may establish the second by his own once and for all sacrifice. The key of verse 7, lo I come, is Christ and none other. Certainly a psalm that is full of Christ. Now it is at the same time a psalm that does have a very clear and warrantable application to the Christian, an encouraging application. And Christians have often referred to it on the, in that way and been blessed by it. And we are not in any sense wanting to take away any of the, the preciousness that some of us have known from this psalm by applying it to ourselves as the Lord hearing us in times of trouble. That is a very acceptable and legitimate way to apply the truths of the psalm. But we remember and delight in even more the psalm when we realise that it was written as a prophecy of the experience of the Saviour. And it is offering us then in its uh, verses an insight into the experience of our Lord in his humiliation and particularly in the depths of his humiliation, in his sufferings, as we think of them uh, at the cross. And for that truth, we count this psalm a treasure of the very highest and greatest value. It is of blessing to ourselves in our experience as Christians. It is of blessing to ourselves in our understanding of our Saviour, in our view of our Saviour and what he endured for us. And even to find then a psalm that can so sweetly marry the experience of the Christian with the experience of the Saviour himself reminds us that he is able to be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. And I think... Because it is a psalm full of Christ and a very devotional one as well. I think it helps us before our communes to set our hearts then towards these words. And so we say, who is waiting? And we say, it is the Lord. As John said to Peter after the resurrection, it is the Lord. We can see him on the banks of this psalm. It is the Lord. Now we notice that he is waiting. What is this waiting of the Lord? We are told it is a patient waiting. I waited patiently. Now Hebrew has a different way of expressing that than we would have. And the translation is absolutely correct and accurate. But if we were to make it very literal, it would say something like this. It would say, waiting, I waited Waiting, I waited. And that was the experience of Christ. He was waiting and he still waited a bit more. The steadfastness of the Saviour in waiting upon the Lord his God in his extremities, in his experience. 
And it's a humbling thing for us who can be so at times impatient to remember that the experience of Christ upon the earth was not always one of an instant response even to his prayers. And you imagine that, that Christ praying then had to wait. And indeed it was a, a drawn out waiting. Waiting, I waited. It wasn't a short waiting. It wasn't an easy waiting. And that is remarkable to demonstrate, to display before us rather, what a meek saviour we have. To descend not only into our feeble, puny nature, but to endure the waiting, the delay of time, the one who is eternal, to experience how long time can feel, to experience that sense of urgency from your cry and experience what seems not to be a sense of urgency from heaven in responding. To endure the waiting, the delay, the interposing between his extremities and his needs which were real and were present. And then the answering of the Lord that would come, but not yet. How much more then should we follow the patience of the Saviour? What are the delays that we have ever experienced in the Lord answering our prayers by comparison? What has been the, the extremity and the urgency and the need that we have had compared to his? And therefore, what is the delay as it were? Not a delay at all from God's perspective, but from ours compared to his. Think of this and bring these words with you when you read in the Gospels, when you read as we will no doubt at some point over the course of this weekend be directed towards the experiences of Christ recorded in the Gospels. When you read in, in Gethsemane of the Lord's experience there, bring these words with you. His waiting patiently. In his repeated prayers in Gethsemane, for the cup to pass. Why was it repeated? Because he was waiting for an answer still. Because he was urgent for an answer still. And because he hadn't had that answer at his first prayer. And so it was repeated. Bring these words of patience with you. When you see him there before the high priest. His face smitten. The patience of the Lord while he waited. The silent patience of the Lord before Herod where he would not answer him a word. His patience with Pilate, the pawn and all the schemes of the Jewish leaders and of Satan. Therefore he that hath delivered me unto thee at the greater sin. His patience waiting upon the cross in the darkness. 
And yet he continued throughout it all in a sure hope, in a solid uh, assurance and expectation that he would yet be helped, that he would be heard, that he would be assisted, though for a while he was forsaken. And so it is that Isaiah says and enlightens us on this very point in his life. I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. For the Lord God will help me. Therefore I shall not be confounded. That's why he did it. Because he believed that he would yet be helped. Therefore have I set my face like a flint. And I know that I shall not be ashamed. He is near that justifieth me. As if the Lord is on a journey towards him. Not yet come to his aid. But near. He is assured. He is content. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is mine adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold the Lord God will help me. Who is he that shall condemn me? Though they shall all wax old as a garment. The moth shall eat them up. This is him as he gives his back to the smiters. Waiting. Waiting. For that deliverance. That's our first point. Secondly. Who is hearing in this psalm? He asked. Who is waiting first of all? Who is hearing? More briefly on this second point. But still. It is of course. God the Father. And. Whether we have applied it in our thinking to ourselves. Or in this. Perspective at least to the Saviour. We'd have come to that same conclusion. The Lord heard him. The Lord was listening to every word. (coughs) He heard him the first time in the garden. Even though Christ had to pray it repeatedly. But God certainly heard him. And every time thereafter. And he gave him the answer that there was no other possible way for the cup to pass from him. None. The Lord heard him. He delivered him from the fear of death. As he cried out there, as he began to be sore, amazed and very heavy as blood was sweating from him at the thought of what was coming, of the cup that he had to drink. He was delivered not from the experience but from the fear of death. When his hour came, he went forward himself to the betrayer. Rise up. He is a betrayer to me at hand. And it says he was heard in that he feared. Uh, Isaiah also says in Isaiah chapter 49. Thus saith the Lord in an acceptable time have I heard thee. And the day of salvation have I helped thee. And I will preserve thee. Can imagine these were the very promises. That kept him waiting, waiting patiently. Because he knew the promises that in that acceptable time he would be heard and he would be delivered, he would be saved, 
will be preserved. And so it was the experience of the Saviour recorded in Hebrews chapter 5. In the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. Was heard in that he feared. What a listening. What a hearing it must have been for the Father. The listening of the Father. The ear of God open the whole time as the Son there is pouring out his heart to his Father. It must have delighted surely the Lord to hear his Son. We have to be careful in uh, attributing um, human emotions to God. But we can say, if we understand the limits of that at least, that we nonetheless can say it must have delighted him to hear from his son even in these agonies. And as it were, grieved him at the same time because he loved his son. It was a wonderful listening. What prayers they must have been. And we say they delighted the Father because they were God-pleasing prayers. They were greatly God-pleasing prayers that the Son uttered. What, what faith was in them? Pleasing the Father. What patience was exercised by them? What a grasp of the promises that he pled. What an enduring love. They breathed these prayers towards his people, towards his Father. They were pleasing prayers. And the Father is listening. To every word. To every syllable. We listen as it were. When we read our Bibles. We listen to a few of the phrases. A few of the words. There in Gethsemane. Some of it is recorded. Some of it is captured. And we listen to these phrases. And we love these prayers. They are precious, priceless, wonderful words. But the Father heard it all. The things that are concealed to us. They were heard by God. Every last word, every whisper of Christ, every agonized cry, every plea, every burden that was expressed. The Father was always listening. Thirdly, what was he delivered from in this psalm? He brought me up also out of an horrible pit and out of the miry clay. The pit and the clay. The pit and the clay. What is this pit? What is this clay? One of the commentators says, they express the state and condition of Christ at the time of his bloody sweat, his crucifixion and the cold death of the grave. That is what has been captured here in this wording. The pit and the clay. The experience, the situation, the condition of Christ there in his agonies. He was made sin. And he bore the sins of his people. All of them. (coughs) And it was a miry clay. 
That's what the miry clay was. It, it, the picture is of somebody sinking, it, it covering them to just filthiness. The miry clay was the filthy garments of the sins of his people. Or the miry clay was your sins and mine. How miry. You think of that, if ever you need help to hate your sins, the miry clay, the way that your sins admired the Saviour, while he was patiently waiting for his father's deliverance. The Saviour was made in this way, admired with the mud of your sins, smearing the feet of the gospel carrier, beautiful, but smeared as it were. His precious body covered not only with stripes, but with the cold filth of sin. Clay is cold and clawing and sticky, clinging. That's the way our sins were adhering to him. That was the experience he had of them. You know the way when you just can't seem to get it off. The more you you try, the more it seems to spread. And so, there is the clay. If we ask, what was he delivered from? And there was the pit. And it is a pit now in his experience because in this sinking sand, this sink clay that he is in, he is sunk now lower than at any point in all the experience of his humiliation since ever he was conceived in the womb of his mother. This was the lowest point. This was the pit. How low was he? He was so low that he was now under the wrath of his father. Smitten of God and afflicted. How low was he? Enduring hell itself. That's what the pit is still. The place of the wrath of God. And he knew that. And he was enduring it. And doing so whilst waiting patiently for God's deliverance. Now he cried. He cried to be taken out of it. And yet he had to languish under it. In the clay of my sin. In the pit that was my place. Waiting. He waited there. It was not a flashing experience for the Saviour, but one that was exceedingly drawn out. 
It's not only miry clay. It's not only a pit. It's a horrible pit, we're told. A pit of horrors. And the word horrible here itself is quite an interesting, uh, a suggestive word. It implies noise. Horrible noise. The word, a noisome pit. The noise of that pit was itself a great affliction. It was one of the greatest afflictions of the pit for the Saviour. Think of the noise, the cacophony around the cross, where the people are shouting out, Crucify him, crucify him. Think of what it was like for him to hear that noise. Think of what it was like to hear the noise upon the cross of the thieves on either side of him, casting the same taunts in his teeth. The insults of the wicked men. He saved others himself he cannot save. Let's see if Elijah will save him. The taunts of the wicked, the cries of the crowd. Maybe even the the noises of the pit. The Psalms speak of the, the demons and the foul spirits who assaulted him, who encompassed him, who surrounded him, who gaped upon him. The roaring, as it were, of the lion of hell, the howling of the dogs of hell. The shrieks, the screeches of their vile delights and his agonies. The horribleness of the pit that he endured. And there because of the mighty clay of our sins. That was what he was delivered from. Let us ask, fourthly, what was he delivered from? To what was he exalted to? We might say, What was he exalted to? He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. He hath put a new song in my mouth. What was he exalted to? To this rock, you might think. Set my feet upon a rock. The idea is this pit that was a bottomless pit, this pit that was this soft, sinking, horrible, clawing clay, lifted from that and placed now upon a firm, solid place, a place of standing that will be there for all eternity, a rock of ages. There exalted to Mount Zion in heaven as it were. Carried up into the near presence of God in our nature. In that same nature that has suffered. Carried up after his resurrection. All of heaven set unfurled its banners for him to welcome him, to receive him. There he is set upon the rock. The rock of his own salvation that he has worked out for his people. And he stands upon it himself. 
victorious. Been set down at the right hand of God in that most stable and firm. It's an unalterable state. Where he is, he will be. It is a most honourable condition where he is upon the rock. He died, but he dies no more. No claim of death rests upon him. No smell of the fire rests upon those who are in the fiery furnace. No smell of death lingers upon Christ any longer. No smearing of the clay. No sounds of the pit. He is lifted clear and clean out of it all. He is there in the highest upon the rock. He has set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. The ways of Christ are open to him. He will now rule all of history from the vantage of heaven. All is before him. His ways are established. He will go where he pleases. Yet to go and endure that baptism. But now it is to his own pleasures that he goes. To his own delights, to his own people, to his own plans of salvation. And so he has his ways just so clearly established. Then our last question. Fifthly, what is the impact of this deliverance and this exaltation? He has been delivered out of the mire, out of the pit. He has been exalted to be upset upon the rock and his ways established. What is the effect of it then? He has put a new song in my mouth. Even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. A wonderful thought. How often have we sung it? And we sing it with gusto. We sing it with heart. And we sing it with meaning. A new song is in my heart. He has put a new song in my heart. Christ first had a new song given. Christ, as it were, standing up on the rock, sings a song he did not sing before. A new song was given, a song of deliverance, a song of salvation, of his own salvation. As the conquering saviour, he sings in praise to God for what he was delivered from, for what he was exalted to. This is not a song he sung before, for he had not yet experienced it. But he himself has a new song. And the song is a gospel song that he sings. And oh how sweetly heaven rings. As Christ in this New Testament age. Sings the song of the gospel. Leads the singing. The praise of heaven. As he sings the gospel out into the world. What a presenter. Leading the praises of his people. Is that what a presenter does? Gathers the congregation to join him in the praise. And so Christ 
is singing this new song. When he goes out in the gospel and finds one. And brings them in to sing this new song with him. Isn't that your condition? Isn't that your place? You sing a song now. Who gave it to you? Christ did. A new song. A song of salvation. How could he give you this song? It's his own song. But you sing it with him. The song of the mercy of God echoes around the world tonight. Because Christ is leading it. And notice here. He had put a new song in my mouth. Even praise to our God. It's not a sweet thing for Christ to say. See how he draws near his people in his praise. And see how he draws you near to him. And we sing together. Christ and I, my Saviour and me. Of the wonders of God's salvation. Even praise unto our God. What is the effect of this deliverance and this exaltation? Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. What is the result of the Humiliation of Christ, the waiting patiently of Christ in the miry clay and in the pit and has been delivered out of it in the resurrection and exalted to heaven upon the rock. What is the result? It is that many will see the beauty of Christ, the experience of Christ, the sufferings of Christ, the victory of Christ. Many shall see, many shall fear the Lord because of it and shall trust in the Lord. That is the result. That is the effect. That is, you are here in this psalm. You are part of this psalm because you have seen it. You have seen the sufferings of Christ for you. You have seen the deliverance of Christ as he is exalted as your saviour. You have heard the new song and sung it. You feared God and thanked him. And you trust. You trust in the Lord. What a wonderful effect. What a wonderful saviour. What a wonderful Lord who now promises us. His own communion. In the days that lie ahead. May he bless his word. Let us pray.